This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sophie Scott. And I'm James Gill. Our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone. We'll be chatting with our favourite people. Sharing uplifting news stories. And delivering tips and tricks. To bring balance to your lives. Hello, welcome to the Balance Podcast. It's a bonus episode. Happy Friday. I mean, uh, is Nick Helm, actor, comedian, all-round legend. Uh, I, I love this man. Been friends for... Crikey, eight, nine years. One of the most explosive comedians on the circuit. Wonderful. He's announced a tour. Definitely buy a ticket. Visit Nick Helm's website and buy a ticket if you want to be blown away. He's wonderful. He's a, he's a, he's lightning in a bottle. I remember the first time I saw him, I was emceeing a gig. He was the headliner and he uh, took the roof off. This was before he'd uh, properly broken through. Wonderful. I'm proud to call him a friend. He is in the new Sky sitcom, The Reluctant Landlord, with Ramesh Ranganathan, who was Monday's guest. If you've not listened to that, download it. This is uh, a very big, this gets pretty weighty and pretty serious and, and pretty dark. Nick bears his soul. Nick opens up. And so I would need to say to you, that if some of the things that Nick talks about, if you can relate to some of them, then given I'm the host of this podcast and I write for Balance Magazine, I'm not doing my job if I don't steer you in the direction of some sort of help. I would I would always say check out the NHS website that has a, a, a special mood zone section. So if you Google NHS therapy, you will find the the, the mood zone section which is wonderful similarly if you google nhs counseling that will take you through to a counseling section and then also there's another area of the nhs website which is types of talking therapies um regular listeners will know that i'm a huge advocate of therapy been in therapy for more than 15 years uh i think i i know it's not for everyone i personally think it is wonderful uh, so if, if some of the things that Nick talks about today in this podcast, if they resonate with you, then I would urge you. I mean, I, I recommend therapy to anyone and everyone. My 
sure my I'm sure my friends have had enough of me uh, recommending people or recommending types of therapy, but I see it as my duty as their friend and as indeed a human being. Uh, so this is this is the the wonderful Nick Helm, uh, a, a human being I, I care about uh, a great deal. As I say, if you've never heard of Nick, pull up a comfy chair. You're in for a treat. Uh, if you have heard of Nick, uh, you will know what a special talent he is. So here he is, the great Nick Helm. Nick, uh, Reluctant Landlord, Season 2. May I ask... Actually, we've started. We, we start now. Yes. Uh, am I allowed to ask... Because it was un unusual how you got the role. Yes. Can you, can you reveal how it came about? Um, well, I can sort of... I'll tell you a bit. I mean, I was writing... Um, I was, I was, I didn't know that, hmm, okay, so how did it happen? They did a pilot, uh, about a year and a half before they got the series. Mm -hmm. They did a pilot, I don't think anyone, I think there was lots of things that they wanted to change about the pilot. So then Ramesh went away, wrote a series, but all of this is happening in the background, I'm doing my stuff. Um, basically the first I heard about it was I was writing a treatment for, uh, a film uh, in Soho on the Wednesday. I had some time spaced out, set aside. Sorry, this is, I'm just trying to remember it. Yeah. I had some time set aside to write a treatment for this film that I'm trying to pitch. And, um, uh, and then on the Wednesday afternoon, I get a text. Oh no, the Thursday afternoon, I get a text from Ramesh saying, oh, we go go out for lunch, me and Esther. So basically we're pitching Elephant as a... I made a short film called Elephant. Pitching it as a film. Me and Esther out for lunch. I get a text on my phone and it's from Ramesh saying, please say you'll do it. And I'm just like, I've got no idea what he's talking about. And then I see that I've missed a load of calls from my agent and I'm just like, what? And then um, uh, I find out that basically that the actor that's playing... Mike, that's playing, playing Lemon, has dropped out. I think he dropped out on the Wednesday night. They spent all day Thursday panicking. And then on the Thursday evening, uh, Thursday afternoon, I get like a a thing from Ramesh. And then I find out that basically they've offered me the part of Lemon um, uh, to start filming the following Monday. So I think about it for about like a minute and I'm just like, right. The only thing is, it's like, can I postpone writing the treatment? Can we move Esther's schedule? Can we, uh, I'm, I'm writing in a, a production company with a production company and they've mapped out time for me. So I'm just like, can I move this to another thing and go off and make this sitcom for seven weeks and come back seven weeks later? Uh, have to discuss it with my agent and then, uh, on the Friday morning, um, uh, I'm doing the sound mix for the short film I made called The Killing Machine, uh, which is about boxing. So I'm in Soho doing the sound mix, and so uh, they bash out my uh, contract and assign everything, um, and you know that's on the Friday morning. Friday, um, I finish the sound mix, and then I get in a car, and they drive me to Shepparton Studios, well, I meet all the crew, they do costume fittings, they do photos. Uh, we, we had to do all of these kind of like um, 
production um, photos for like uh, like Christmas photos, Halloween photos, and stuff like that that will be stuck up behind the bar. For you know, I'm basically just right. I meet, I meet like sixty members of crew. Meet the director. Meet like every like everyone all in one go, uh, and um, uh, everyone's so grateful to see me. Yeah, They're just like it's like it's the most grateful anyone. It's the most happy anyone has ever been. <laughs> see me I just go uh, I turn up and they're just like oh my god and I was like right um, they say have you got any questions and I'm just like yeah what's my character called and they're like right um, and, uh, and so it was just like I just was dropped right in the deep end and uh, and then I had like the weekend to basically say goodbye to my family because you're not going to see anyone for like seven weeks and then uh, I was filming on Monday and I you know and I was just like, I don't know any of my lines and I've barely had, they sent me the script, but I think I got about halfway through the script because I was just so busy at the weekend. So I read about three and then, but I said, yes, I'd do it beforehand because I've known Ron for, I I keep saying 12 years. I think that's how, I've probably been doing stand up for about 12 years. So I think I've known Ron since about 2009, 2010. Um, uh, Yeah, and I love him. So I was just like, of course, yeah, I'll do it. also, I'd like to be helpful, but I also like working as well. So it's just like, this is amazing. Uh, you know, here we are, like, bashing our heads against the wall, writing treatments, trying to get um, uh, stuff made. And they've just said, do you want to just walk into a part? What part of the ball ache of, like, doing stuff is that, um, you know, you have to wait for it to happen. And this was just, there was no thinking time. So I, like, literally stepped into it on the Friday and on the Monday when we were filming. And then I, I didn't, have, I was just always trying to keep up with everything. So they were just like, I'd, I'd, I'd learn it scene by scene, day by day, um, which is how I t- generally do things. But with something like Uncle, I've got a character and I know what my character is and I've worked on that. And I kind of like, I, um, and with this, it was like, I felt like I was stepping into Dead Man's Shoes for like the first series. I felt very uncomfortable for most of it. And then the second series, they wrote it and they knew that I was going to be in it, obviously. Um, and so then I think I just enjoyed like being at the read-throughs for the second series a lot more. First series was just literally, you're just trying to keep up with everyone else. Sure. You feel like, I mean, some people were cast not that long before me, but, but you felt like that everyone knew each other and it was kind of like this big gang of people and you were kind of like the new guy. But I would turn up for work every day and say, I don't know my lines. And they would like, that's all right, you're here, you're uh, the last guy isn't here, so you're here, and um, yeah, and uh, it was really, people were just so grateful. Every That's time really. I turned up on set, they were just like, "Ah, oh, it's great to see you." Here he is. Here he is. And I was just like, "Fuck it!" I've never, I've never been so popular on a set. Do you know what I mean? It was lovely. Everyone made me feel super um, welcome, and they were happy to be there. But then, I think even on an amazing production as an actor. You have a you know you 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 have paranoid moments of paranoia where you think oh god I'm doing a bad job and all of this stuff and with this one it was all the time I was just thinking but they were just like you're here it yeah. doesn't matter sure so second series I enjoyed a lot more what what is it about the current crop of uh, people entertainment so I'd say yourself Romesh uh, Pasco Catherine Ryan many many more. A, a joy to work with. So you're, you're getting that sort of feedback. Why is this current crop so lovely? I'm not. I'm not saying that people in the you know, there are reputations with people in the past. Oh, you get. You've got a lot of comedians with spiky reputations. Um, 
in the past. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for that. I just know that I've worked with Ramesh and that's been really lovely. But on Uncle, there were hardly any comedians on that. Brett was on it and uh, Daniel Taylor was on that. But they're really uh, actor comedians, I would say. Um, and so actors are very different from comedians as well. Um, so I haven't worked with loads of tons of comedians on, on stuff. But um, so I wouldn't know. That's, that's your observation. Not mine. It is my observation. Um, but that's because you've met a lot of us, haven't you? But the, the, the feedback I get a lot from producers, directors, floor managers is that this current crop are such a... Oh, really? Ple- yeah, absolutely. That's such nice. A, uh, people who work in wardrobe, in makeup, how lovely this current wave is. And then they have stories from people from... We're not all lovely. Previous generations, shall we say. We're not, we're not all lovely, I don't think. I've heard some... You know, <laughs> I've heard some terrible stuff about uh, people, people uh, in my year group. But... Um, uh, I think that you hear rumours about uh, other comedians from the past and you hear stories and it's always really disappointing to find out that yes. one of your favourite comedians is a bit of a shit. And um, uh, and also I find this job, I get, um, I get really... Um, I get really nervous about performing stand-up comedy uh, on TV because I just think that it's not my... Uh, I'm kind of shackled. My, I, I think to get an idea of what I do, you want to see me do an hour live. Um, and I find it very difficult to translate what I do live onto, the, onto TV. So I get really nervous about that. And um, I just find that the job is hard enough without adding to it just people being horrible so I just you know it's a it's a privilege to be in a sitcom and to act um, to, to, to be able to act anyway it's um, I feel very very lucky there was a lot of talented people out there that don't get the opportunities that I've got um, and I had to sort of like to a certain extent make those opportunities for myself but um, and I've worked very hard to get there but I but there were other people that work really hard and they don't get those opportunities so I just think um, it's a it's a privilege to have the job. It's a pleasure to do it, and you just turn up. And there are worse jobs out there, so why wouldn't you be nice? I just cannot fathom. Could not agree more. Why you would turn up with a bad attitude? It just it makes no sense. I tell you what, though, I did a pilot with Tom Davies, uh, Tom Davis, um, uh, a couple of years ago, and um, I'd already filmed the first series of Uncle. We did this pilot. I don't think it ever got aired. Um, it's for the thing that never got made called The Waste Man and um, and I just had sort of like I was playing like his nemesis on that so I was like and Tom Davis was absolutely incredible with the set with, with the crew everyone right it was his production I think I was on for like one day or maybe maybe I was there for two days but I think it was probably one day and um, lovely bloke just like um, it takes a lot of work I think to to learn everyone's name on a crew. And he done it. And um, I'd like when we did, so I did the first series of Uncle, maybe the second, maybe I'd done two series of Uncle. We did this film, uh, this pilot in between. And when I went into the third series of Uncle, I think I learned everyone's names uh, after about two weeks. It took me two weeks. And they were doing this thing and he just went around, he knew everyone's name. He had a nice thing to say to everyone. Um, you know, he, he would delay 
takes because he was, you know, they'd be like, where's Tom? And he was handing out sandwiches to the crew. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so actually, fairly unprofessional. But, um, but I learned, I learned so much about that because, um, from him, because you have your own shit that you deal with. As, a, as a, an actor you assume because you're an actor that everyone sort of well I do as a, when I'm acting on something I assume that everyone sort of hates me anyway because because uh, you're an actor right <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so I keep I, I've I wouldn't say in a totally antisocial way I'm always like I was always pleasant I think but I would sort of keep myself to myself and be like well they don't want to hear from me you know, I'm just I'll just get in the way of their job or whatever like that, so they wouldn't want to hear from me. But um uh what I learned from Tom was that, you know, actually uh you just try and make the job as fuck as pleasant. You take oh, when on Uncle, I was the lead, so I took responsibility and ownership uh of the set. And I would go in and I would Give everyone, this was back in 2016, 17, so I'd give everyone a hug when I turned up for work. Can't do that now. No. But, um, <laughs> Absolutely not. But I'd, get, I'd turn up for work, I'd give everyone a hug, and we'd be like, and, uh, and we were filming in the summer, we were all in good moods, we were outside, it was, the sun was shining, it was great. You'd turn up for work bright and early, and you'd hit the floor running, and you'd say good morning to everyone, and you'd, you'd keep everyone's spirits up in between takes, and then the days would just would just fly by and, sure. um, and it was just, that third series of Uncle was probably the most delightful uh, thing that I've ever been involved in and I think it was mainly because, for me I think it was mainly because I learned something from Tom Davis about how to kind of like take ownership, of a, take ownership of a set what I would say because oh, we've obviously got a lovely we had a lovely director uh, Oliver Refson on Uncle but he's very kind of like quiet and uh, um, um in, uh, insular so um, so although he wrote and directed the show um, as the lead actor who was like basically in every scene yeah. I sort of like rose to the challenge of kind of like um, steering the ship and making sure everyone was having a good time or just trying to trying to make trying to make the set as pleasant as possible in terms of having a good time you've touched on it earlier to do Nick Helm justice you you have to go see one of the most electrifying live performers I've <laughs> come on, mate. I've ever seen. We sat facing each other at a table. It's one of the much. most electrifying live performers I've ever seen in any genre, not just comedy, but in terms of music as well. Just when Nick walks on stage, you have that feeling of, in the best way possible, who the heck is this guy? You know, the first time I saw you, I was like, holy mackerel! Um, when was that? The first time I saw you was a. Uh, is that oh, your gig? No, it? no, no. It was a gig in central London. It was a, a, it was a, a student union, Tyrone Atkins. It was one of Tyrone's gigs. Oh. It would have been 2011 or 12. Yeah, right. That was at LSE, right? That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. So this, if, this is, if this is going out in September, when is the tour starting? Tour starts 20... I think I'm in Bristol on the 27th of September. I think, I think if I'm getting that right, I think the first tour date is Bristol. Um, that's the 27th of September is when it starts if you've only ever seen Nick on television and that's a wonderful wonderful thing that's great however I, I urge you you've got to see this guy live and on the way home you'll be puffing out your cheeks going wow you know because it's a proper it's a, it's a proper thrill ride um, 
I've seen some of the, rock, the the early stuff of this show. It's wonderful. Uh, what sort of stuff are you covering? Well, in there? you run, in my opinion, the best gig in South London. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> do you know how many gigs there are in South London? <laughs> Three. I've got I've got a favourite gig in North London. No. I've got a favourite gig. What are you doing? This is a compliment. You're taking it very this badly. Absolutely not a compliment. <laughs> Do you know how many gigs there are? There are so many. There's thousands of gigs, and you have got the best. You've got one of three <laughs> of my favourite gigs in London. Oh god, that's an incredible compliment. And I don't gig outside of London, so. Uh, what can you tell us about the new show then? Um, well, I did work in progress for you. Uh, uh, recently in July but now we're in September and uh, I'll tell you what Edinburgh was great <laughs> absolutely smashed it can't believe how many five star reviews I got I nominated didn't even know it was possible to get nominated at this stage of my career but yeah here I am um, <laughs> Dave's best joke unbelievable twice I've done that twice now um, uh, and the judging penalty of your standing ovation oh my never God. See, you don't see that no absolutely not I can't believe it and Steve Bennett renamed Chortle uh, helm, helm tool, <laughs> helm tool. Um, no, so, um, so what's the question? What's my show about? Yes, my show uh, is about um, uh, my. You see, it sounds like it's going to be a downer, but like my show is basically about my relationship to my depression and how I've sort of dealt with my depression. Uh, badly uh, in the past, and how I'm trying. I'm trying to learn from experiences and uh, better myself in a more permanent way. So I find depression. We talking about this? I find depression sort of cyclical. It's like a, um, my depression is like a wave. And um, what, one of the things I'm, I'm saying in my show at the moment is that there's a difference between being sad and happy and depression. And I think that when you're happy, you're not sad. And when you're sad, you're not happy. But when you're depressed, when you have depression, it's there no matter what. Even if you're happy, it's there. It's like a black cloud that follows you around. And um, and so sometimes I'll be down, and sometimes I'll be up, and sometimes I'll be down, and sometimes I'll be up. And it's like a wave. And it, it, my life really has been trying to avoid depression and deny that it really exists. And uh, I got to a point recently where I was just like, actually. I can't keep going like this. It's too painful. It's too difficult for me to deal with. And so I would say in the last two years, I've taken real positive steps into trying to kind of work out um, how to function with it. I've always been able to sort of like, I've been functional, I've always been fairly functional with it. Like, I've always felt like while I'm depressed, uh, I'll always try and write my way through it and then that way at least something positive comes out of quite a negative experience but I recently lost the fight and uh, to kind of keep myself going um, I stopped doing stand up for about a year and a half um, and I just tried to focus on and part of that was work part of it was like I get really nervous about gigging and so um, if I have a gig in the evening then about I would say about two or three o'clock in the afternoon that's when I start having a meltdown and becoming like paralyzed with fear. So if I'm trying to write TV treatments and stuff like that, um, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work in a world where I, I, 
didn't really work in the world where I was doing stand-up. So I took a time off for stand-up to like write down all my TV projects and sort of like have meetings and stuff like that. So there's part of it. Part of it was just the fact that um, I'd, I'd done stand-up for uh, 11, 12, 12, 11 or 12 years and um, I, I just felt sort of broken by it by that point. And this show is about kind of me... Um, not just coming back to Edinburgh. I haven't done a full Edinburgh run in six years uh, uh, because of TV stuff getting in the way. But um, not done stand-up really for a year and a half because of issues. I got to the point that I really missed stand-up. And what I didn't realise at the time, I gave up stand-up for, not like permanently, but I gave up for a year and a half. And... I couldn't work out why I was so sad and why I was so depressed, like worse than ever in that year and a half. And then I realised recently when I started doing stand-up again is that I identify as a stand-up comedian. That's who I am. I, that's, that's one of the things. I, I, I've done acting on the side. But as, as a person, my life only really clicked in place when I discovered stand-up. On my first ever gig, I was rubbish. But on my first ever gig... That was the moment I went, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then I sort of didn't do it for a year and a half. And it was kind of like, I thought taking time away from it would make me feel better. And then actually, I didn't realise it, but it made me feel a lot worse. And now I'm coming back to stand-up and I'm being... It's good because I've taken time to reflect and time to sort of like try and work out what's wrong with my brain. But also um, getting into... <laughs> Just, I've I've returned to stand up. I'm less. I think I'm less of a character. I'm less of a. I've still got a stage persona, but I think that I'm a lot happier talking honestly and openly about myself, rather than constructing sort of maybe surreal routines about stuff or uh, hiding behind. Uh, songs and um, all my poems and songs come from a real place I think and all my stand up generally does and I'm still kind of like working working out at this stage what my relationship on stage is with the audience and stuff like that but um, um, it's just kind of uh, because I, I used to like if I wouldn't talk about having a breakdown I would show them I would do a breakdown Right, I'd be an hour where I'd have a breakdown on stage. Yeah, but um, that's sort of cartoony, and I feel like I'm at this stage where it's more beneficial for me and an audience to actually talk about it honestly and openly. And um, and that's where I sort of am at the moment. It's a different. It's the, my act has evolved. I've always talked about depression. I've always sort of dealt with depression on stage, and this is kind of like the next. The next stage, the next step in evolution, I suppose. What what, uh, what positive steps have you taken then to address this on a more long term basis? Um, I've started uh, going to the gym, um, which is amazing. Um, it's, it's amazing how much better you feel when you go to the gym. I've started uh, uh, being much more careful about what I eat. Um, I. Um, uh, tried various different antidepressants. I've never wanted to do antidepressants. I tried a few. I didn't like them. Uh, so I've, I've, I've explored that avenue and realised it's not for me. So I've taken you know steps like exercise and diet and stuff like that more seriously. Started doing therapy, which I think everyone should do. 
I basically just think, you know, um, so much, so many of my problems, I've, you know, I love my parents so much, but I've inherited a lot of shit off them. And if I just think if everyone, if my parents go went to therapy, if they'd gone to therapy, uh, if my my family had gone to therapy, if I mean, we're working in an industry that is riddled with mental health issues, right? Yeah. And uh, because people uh, get laughs, um, it's kind of acceptable, you know? Um, but we're basically uh, grown adults that haven't had like mental health checks that are just bashing into each other. And I think that there's a lot of damage that can be done um, to each other. I've, I've had interactions with other Canadians that have been really damaging to me. And um, I just think that's just, this is just our industry. I think if everyone went into therapy, the world would be a lot better. A lot, a lot of people say things like, oh, the conversations are getting better, the conversations are more open. Do, do you feel that? In terms of? People people talking about the fact, people being comfortable enough to tell their friends that they think they need to see a therapist. Um, I have those, I know I have those conversations with people. I instigate those conversations. Um, it, the moment I started taking antidepressants, I found out that so many people I knew were on antidepressants. Um, and they'd sort of like go, oh, yeah, well, he's on antidepressants, of course. And you go, oh, I didn't know that. There's like a community, an underground community. I don't think people do discuss it. It's no one's business either, right? I am aware of that. And me going on stage and talking about that is my choice. It's not It's not like um, I'm not suggesting that if you do it, you have to share. I just think that I've been so miserable. And also, not to, I have a lot of fans, and it occurs to me that uh, that's not the end of that statement. I have a lot of fans that it has, it has occurred to me that I have a lot of fans that have mental health issues. And because I talk about depression on stage, uh, people come up to me and they, they feel like um, I'm an expert. And, I've seen it. And that, I, uh, and that um, they ask me for advice and they talk to me on a one-on-one basis. And I'm always just like, look, I'm not an expert. I've... I can't give you one-on-one advice because if you were to do anything based on the advice that I gave you, um, then, I, you know, I could never... I, I'd have to live with that. I can never, you know... So you've got to know where the professional line is. But I do treat it like if anything I say on stage is a comfort or helpful to people in uh, on the level that they need it. You know, I, I also want to stress that my shows are funny. Right, it's not just me going on and, and, and. This show is a euphoric. It's an emotional show, but it's incredibly uplifting and heartwarming. And I mean, by the end of the, by the end of the set, I mean the 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 noise that that crowd made. It was we'd all we'd, we'd all experienced a, a wonderful, beautiful thing. I think I, I just I, and I feel, I feel like that's what I, I feel like my shows should be cathartic. I feel like you. That, I think that there was a there is a habit of comedians to go on stage and go, isn't everything great? Isn't everything wonderful? Uh, I want my audience to feel good, so I'm going to tell them how good everything feels, and I'm only going to focus on the great stuff. And I want... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My audience to leave my shows feeling great, but also I don't want to go the easy way or the direct route. I want to go the other route, which is take them to hell and back. Do you know what I mean? Make them feel absolutely terrible. And then they come out the other side and they feel amazing. Um, so, so that's sort of like a part of, a part of it. Um, but um, I just want, I want to be as a, as a human, as a, as a person, as a human person and as a comedian, um, I want people to see my show, laugh, enjoy themselves. Um, but then if they get anything more out of that, then that's, that, you know, if, I think people that don't suffer from depression and uh, they can be more offended by the stuff than the people that do find depression. I, I know that when I did live at the Apollo, people were going, nice one, mate, uh, making fun of people with depression. And you go, I have depression. I'm talking about my depression. I'm not making fun of people with depression. Sure. I'm talking about my specific issues in a humorous way. And if you find that, in, in, do you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, it's not your responsibility to fight that fight for people with depression. Right, so I do. I, I had a song, a Christmas song called "I'm So Depressed." Uh, I'm so depressed, I want to kill myself. Right, and um, it's not that like saying I'm going to kill myself. It's very specific. I want to kill myself. It's like a, you know, it's like a, um, and it's this big rousing Christmas song, and people sing along, and at the end of it, you feel amazing. It's just sort of like you go, right? We've said it out loud. Sure. We've said the worst thing that you can say out loud, right? And we've all said it together. And at the end of it, you feel happy and you feel uh, united with everyone in the room. And I think that... So, the, so it's, it's not like going on and, and, and treating everyone with kid gloves. It's not encouraging anyone to do anything bad. It's literally getting people to talk about it and uh, getting, it, getting it out in the open. And then people with depression come up to me and they go, like, you know, they found it really cathartic and they got stuff out of it. And as a performer, that is kind of possibly the thing that I'm most proud of is that 
I've been able to contribute something that even if it's like a small community of people that are not only my fans, but also fans that I have that suffer from depression. Um, if I can, if I can give something, some catharsis to those people, then that's sort of something that makes me very proud, you know, because I've suffered from, I do suffer from depression. Um, and I think that because it's a bit scary to talk about, I suppose, because, um, you worry that maybe people won't want to hire you. Um, and maybe people think that you can't do your job as well. But I think um, if people see that I can talk about it, then, then maybe that will encourage them to talk about it. And also, I mean, you touched on it earlier, but the, the people who actually approach you after gigs, it's easy for me to say because I've only seen it as an onlooker. But I think, that's a, I think it's a positive thing because those people, I know it can be hard on you because you can't answer those questions. <clears throat> but I think you I think you are encouraging people to seek out therapy when they might they may not have done so otherwise I mean that can be a good thing Abs- absolutely I mean there, there are people very close to me that um, have been really messed up over their lives and um, uh, and I've seen sort of like firsthand not just I've encouraged someone very close to me to go to therapy uh, they did and there was like an improvement within like seven weeks where you just go they're a different person a happier person um, they've got a place it doesn't necessarily it's not a quick fix and it's very difficult obviously talking about painful things but um, but it's definitely the route to go to find out why you um, why you feel the way you feel but also um, to try and understand uh, the cycles that cause it and to break that cycle and to work out a way to kind of like make a positive change and go, right, I'm going to stop behaving like that. I do it, I, I make the same mistakes time and time again and I'm going to stop behaving like that and get to the root of why I behave like that. Absolutely. So you can change yourself, you know. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, seeking therapy and going for therapy and... Um, or whatever it is for you. Some people don't need therapy. Some people don't, or don't feel like they need therapy. But, you know, I would say that, that athletics and sport and uh, going to the gym, that's a form of therapy. I remember when I started going to the gym, it was like an hour of the day that I wasn't thinking about killing myself. It was just literally just like it would be an hour where... Um, I'd have such very dark times and then I'd go to the gym and instead of thinking I want to kill myself I'd think fucking hell I don't want to die in front of (laughs) in my show it's like I don't want to die in front of of this cunt in Nycra do you know what I mean it's like uh, you go um and, and, and just to have like a, a relief from that, a holiday from your own brain for like an hour is is, is great. Tell me, I mean, <clears throat> maybe this isn't the proper, maybe this is the sort of thing that we should be talking about in private. Yeah. I don't think I, I think I, I've been your friend for a lot of years. I don't think I realised um, how se- how severe it was. I didn't know that you were having thoughts as strong as that. Mm. It, it, you need to form it as a question. <laughs> Oh, the other thing is, uh, depression doesn't have to be depressing, guys. <laughs> uh, my shows are f- high, full of high energy and uh, laughter. 
yeah, go on. Well, the, they're always having dark thoughts. But the, 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 the question is, you know, please tell me, it's uh, are you in a better place now than you than you were then? It's a daily struggle. You know, I don't think that um, I should. I think I'd be a lot. Uh, no, I think that it would. Hmm, let me think. Let me think. Because they say, ask your friend if they're all right. And if they say yes, ask them again, don't they? Um, and I do suffer from depression, and um, and people do ask me if I'm all right. But I mean, um, people, everyone's got their own lives. I think it is important to sort of like maybe check in with people more often. Um, there was a time when I would maybe we don't keep this in. There was a time when I would phone you non-stop after having entertainment. Yeah, you did mention. Uh, oh, well, after having entertainment, I went through a very rocky period. Um, is it better? Well, it depends what minute of the day it is. Right. You know? Mm. And also, um, sometimes I find it difficult to not just leave the house, but get get out of bed, you know. But because I'm busy and I'm, I've got appointments, I've got to be places, I've sold tickets, and I've got an interview, and you have to leave the house and get out. And then I tell you, as soon as I leave the house... I feel better. Not fixed, but I feel it, it's better than being where I was. I just, I, one of the things I've just, I'm, I'm discovering is that I just think good things happen when you leave the house, you know. Um, and so from a, depre- from, from, a, from a point of view, talk about depression, I just think that good things happen when you leave the house and if you are unable to get out of bed, do it anyway. And, you know, have a walk around the block or try and do something. I know it's hard. It's really difficult. I mean, I struggle. No, if I, I'm great at advice, but like, you know, more often than not, I'm sat on the sofa eating packets of what's it, thinking about, thinking about killing myself. You know, it's like you know, and it's just the thing. It's not like I, it's not like a. The way it works with me is that it's not like I actually sit down and think about it. It's um, it just pops in my head, and then and I, I can't get, and then I'll shake my head, and then it'll pop back in my head, and then I, you know, and at my worst, it was twenty or thirty times a day. Um, and then, and it, and and it's it's much less now. So yeah, I'm, I'm going through quite a good period. I'm going through a good patch, but I'm working again, and I love. Um, I'm I'm excited about Edinburgh. I'm excited about the tour. I'm excited about all of that stuff, and I want to do a show that sort of means something, not just to me, but could potentially mean something to some other people. I, I did. I I, I I need to wrap up, but I I we need to talk about reluctant landlord. Well, I, I was going to say I hope you know how beloved that you are. I know that's not a question. I, d- I don't. What? But I don't think about it like that. I don't think about it like that. This is very personal now. It is now. Well, tell you what, I'll do that. In that case, I'll do the, the clunkiest gear shift in the history of interviews and we'll move it to Reluctant Landlord then. Sure. Um, well, may I ask what... Um, yeah, I know you can't spoil it, but what, what, what's going on with Lemon? Well, Romesh dies. Um, twist. <laughs> turns into so turns into so haunt me. We used to have that joke. <laughs> we used to have the joke. Uh, 
when we were making Uncle, it'd be like episode one. The, the remaining members of the family stand around Errol's grave. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so haunt me. That's the fucking blast from the past. Um, right. So, what happens in the second series of Reluctant Handle? Well, from a production point of view, everyone has a lot more to do. I think what happened with the first series, obviously, I walked into it so last minute. Um, I, I just was just like, what am I saying today? <laughs> and then it was like, every day was an adventure. I didn't have a character. I, I, like, there was a character on paper, but it was like, it was, I, had, I couldn't prep it. So I just had to turn up and go, how am I going to make this scene funny? Or how am I going to try and, you know, I see my job as, um, on something like Uncle, um, uh, the show is, uh, by the time I've been cast off the pilot, they've written a series with me in mind. And I turn up. My part in, um, I turn up for work and I, I take ownership of this. I'm a, I'm a small part in a larger thing on this. So I see my job as adding value to whatever is in, on paper. So I go, right, bare minimum is just doing what's on the paper. How can I add something on top of that so that they don't regret hiring me, right? So I always try and find like jokes and stuff and like little extra yeah. physical things that I can add to it. Or like weird mannerisms or things that can kind of like... Um, uh, Elevate my part in the scene a bit. Um, go on. Is there any Chris Farley in Lemon? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. It's, like, it's the highest compliment, I, you know. All facial gestures and stuff like that, and uh, just Chris Farley. I mean, he's, he was just. I mean, considering he made a, a few very awful films. What was the almost heroes was terrible. The black black, black sheep. Black not, sheep is not, awful. Mate, it's I not a good movie. The, I tell you what, black sheep is. It's a great trailer. It really the trailer is. Trailer for black yeah. sheep was brilliant. I never it, wanted to like a film more. No, than I've, black sheep. I've tried to watch it so many times. Beverly Hills Ninja, terrible. Sure. Tommy Boy is one of my most beloved films of all time. I just think I love it, and he is so funny in that film. Uh, and, I, and and David Spade, I just love them both. Have you met David Spade? I interviewed him over the phone, oh, right, and yeah. I got to tell him. I hope you know that that is special because it's almost—it's almost plane trains, automobiles level of, I, of wonderful. I, I, but on a level, I mean, this is probably sacrilegious. I think the sentimentality in Tommy Boy is pitched just right, whereas on planes, trains, and automobiles, it eclipses the film when it comes out. It's sort of like I feel like it drowns the film in sentimentality whenever it happens. But Tommy Boy. Amazing, and also all of his Saturday Night Live stuff. I just love him. If, if, um, if, a, if a listener hasn't seen the film Tommy Boy, I think it's on Netflix. I think is it really? I think it is. Yeah. Do yourself a favour, and I'm looking at you. Obviously, you've seen it a million times. I'll, I'll look at the microphone. Do yourself a favour and watch one of the funniest films, one of the most beautiful films ever. And the chemistry between the two is it's great. But yeah, yeah. so I, I I think that um, the part of Lemon from the Reluctant Landlord is kind of like. It was an opportunity, an opportunity to do something that's a lot lighter than anything that I've done. I've always get, I always get uh, characters with substance abuse issues, um, and it was just nice to play a good old fashioned alcoholic this time. You know, it was like um, he's 
He's not an alcoholic, but he spends every day in a bar uh, drinking <laughs> yeah. with a pint in his hand. I think I don't think I take one sip of alcohol in this series. I think that um, I think I've always got a pint in my hand, but I'm never drinking. Um, nice. That's a little fun fact. Uh, and then if you rewatch the first series, I played my character in the first series because I had very little to go on. I was told that I was Romesh's best friend. And I was like, got you. So I played it in my head like I hated everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really obvious when Marek is talking, I just like look really bored and everybody's talking. But I was, I hated Yasmin. I hate, I hate Every time someone else walked in, I hate them. And then whenever Ron was talking, I'd be like, yeah, mate. <laughs> and with this, I, I said that at the read through this time when we were doing the table read, I said, it's funny because the last series, didn't I? I played it like I hated you all. And they were like, you did what? <laughs> I was like, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> uh, so this series, I'm kind of like a little bit more friendly to everyone. I, the, I think we're all really happy with the first series. It was done. It was good. It's a, it's a new thing. It's a new thing for Rom. It was like a, an authored sitcom that was sort of based on his real life. Great. And I think the second series is just, it's more ambitious. Um, all the other characters, it's still Rom show, but all the other characters get a bit more of a look in and are fleshed out a bit. Um, Yaz does some amazing dramatic work in this, where it's kind of like uh, you actually, uh, you actually, I, I think it's fair to say that the first series is quite light and frothy. And this series, it's not like Hamlet or Chekhov, you know, but I was going to say or Chekhov, but I didn't want to sound any more of a wanker than I already do. But, um, but it's, it's, um, but it's it's not like it's not Chekhov, but um, uh, she adds this really great dramatic weight to it. Um, and I only single her out because I, we were all on set together that 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 amount of time. Me and Merrick see ourselves very much as we are the light comic relief characters, sure. uh, which is something that I've never really had the opportunity of doing. Um, uh, and then uh, Yasmin brings a lot of weight to it and uh, we, I have a lot less scenes with Sean but um, the scenes that uh, I mean I just think that she is so, <laughs> she's so believable and real as uh, as uh, Ramesh's wife in it. and I just think that she's um, yeah. I mean I've gotten I literally can't say enough nice things about the people I worked with it's beautiful I, every job I've had has been has been valuable. I mean, obviously, I loved Uncle because um, it was it was my it was my sitcom that I was in, and um, and this is uh, I loved Loaded because it was kind of like not quite a sitcom, but there was more acting, and it was and I auditioned for that, and I worked really hard to get for that, and um, and I was really proud of the end product. And then with this, it's kind of like okay, this is something that's totally different. I get to work with. I mean, I would say that I I love him. I love Ramesh. Uh, he was, he's one of my favourite comedians and he's one of the nicest people I know. Uh, he's one of the hardest working people I've ever met. And he's just, uh, a, you know, he's so hard working that you never see him. So to work with him for seven weeks is just amazing. Get to see him every day. Get to see one of your best mates every day. You know, it's great. He would say the same thing about you. Oh, that's nice. I don't believe you. But that's how I feel. And then everyone else is amazing as well. But like, oh, everyone's amazing, but everyone's amazing. Second series, more ambitious and uh, I think funnier. Brilliant. Sky One, Reluctant Landlord, Series 2.
Mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll make another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. We'll keep churning them out until we bury him. <laughs> we bury Ron. Gathered around the grave. Gathered around the grave. See one, and the pub is called Lemons. <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah. Any more questions have you got for me? No. Thank you. Nick, put it down. Very welcome. We're shaking hands uh, for the listeners at home. We're now shaking, or uh, on the podcast, uh, you can take it around with you now. You might be on a bus. Anything you'd like to say before I press stop? <laughs> uh, um, if you if you are suffering from uh, any mental health issues, it's always better to talk to someone about it. Always, and it will instantly make you feel better uh, to some degree. And uh, we'll let some nod. Watch that. <laughs> and the tour, oh, and I'm on tour. And the tour. What's the? What's your? Is it nickhound.com? Uh, nickhound.co.uk, I think it is. Uh, and my sh- and my tour. I had a fifty-fifty, and I got it wrong. That's fine. Uh, my tour is called Phoenix from the Flames. Phoenix from the Flames. And it is going to be a laugh riot. So don't worry about that, guys. <laughs> thanks, you Nick. don't have to be depressed to enjoy it. Huge and heartfelt thanks to Nick Helm. I'm sure you'll agree that was uh, that was a pretty extraordinary chat. Nick, I love you very much. I, d- I don't need to say that on the podcast. I'll send you a message, which I will do as soon as I've wrapped up. As soon as I'm saying that out loud, I'm like, why are you... Anyway, it's like showing off, isn't it? Um, but I'm going to keep all this in. It feels real. Gosh darn it. Didn't need to tap my table. That was annoying for you. I apologise. Uh, we're back Monday. Oh my God. Oh my God. I know who the guest is on Monday. Sweet Nelly Furtado. It's not Nelly Furtado. I wish it was. Um, Nelly, if you're listening, we would love you to have you on the podcast. Um, the guest on Monday. What a treat. Hold on to your hat. My goodness. New issue of Balance out this Monday. That cover star. Yowzers. Um, Yes, you're in for a treat. It's one of those cover stars. I think the cover star is one of those cover stars where you look at the cover star and you say, ooh, how did they get them? I'll be as cryptic as that and I'll leave that there. Um, Yes, enjoy. The Reluctant Landlord. I love this sitcom. It's funny. It has a heart. You believe the world that they have built. I sometimes chat with comedy pals and we there is sort of an agreement that the best sitcoms exist. That car was going to quickly. Uh, the best sitcoms generally are those that exist in a world that you fully believe and, and in a way would actually like to explore. So even Blackadder goes forth Obviously, you don't want to explore the trenches, but you can, you can, the sitcom is so wonderful and the characters are so three-dimensional that you fully believe the world in which they live to the extent where you can imagine living in the trenches. Uh, I've gone off on one there, but the, the Reluctant Landlord certainly has that. In the same way that in Cheers, you could imagine sitting at the bar chatting with Norm. I feel the same way about the Reluctant Landlord. I could sit at the bar and chat with Rom and Nick. Does that make sense? Maybe, maybe not. Um, anyway, The Reluctant Landlord is on Sky and Now TV. Uh, yes, I did nearly say Scow and Nye TV, but why have, why have I gone with this take? Most peculiar. Uh, it's back on this Wednesday at 10 p.m. 
Uh, and then it's also available if you have Skybox sets. So the Reluctant Landlord is wonderful. Nick has a bit, but I didn't say it in case it's on the new tour. Anyway, Nick Helm, thank you very much. Thanks to everyone who made the podcast happen. You know who you are. Again, I could have just dropped an email. Anyway, I think just sometimes saying thank you on the mic, I guess, shows that you are uh, super grateful. I hope so. If you've enjoyed the podcast, um, please, for the love of goodness, leave us a five-star review and a lovely, warm, uh, written review. <laughs> that would be great. Please share, spread the word, tell your friends. If you don't enjoy it, just, you know, just keep it to yourself. That's cool. Uh, and we'll see you Monday for the new issue of Balance Magazine. If you don't live in London, it will be available online. Yes, this is my cryptic voice. Uh, thank you again to Nick. And uh, thanks to all of you who listen. We're, we are super grateful. If this is your first download, check out the back catalogue. Some uh, absolute bangers in the back catalogue. Shall I go into full PR mode? Yes. Ricky Gervais, Patricia, I mean Patricia Arquette, I mean, my goodness, wonderful. Uh, Dame Jess Ennis, Fern Cotton, many, many more. Uh, thank you all so much. Check us all out on the socials, Balance LDN on all the social media platforms. And I'll, I'll plug my own social media, at James Gill Comedy. Good night and God bless. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.